Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's late night happy hour here. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky got a, a massive show, Andy. Massive. It's a super show. It's it is so a super show. We're calling it right here. Look, and you, that's how you know it's a super show because we got a banner that says it's a super show. Uh, Lakers win game two. We'll talk a lot about that over the next half hour or so. And then a little more Lakers and definitely some NFL, NF, NFL football. I've always found that gross. <laughs> I gotta be honest. It's always <laughs> kind of creeped me out. And I felt I've long that was, felt that it. was the lefty. I, I know, know I really should have said this a long time ago. You've been doing this for a long time. And frankly, it's you on do me. the weird the, the gross knuckle thing. So but that's more common. More people crack their knuckles than do that. But you pop them in a way like the noise your knuckles make, Andy, is truly disgusting. But it's more mainstream. It's more mainstream disgust. I don't know. This might require a poll. Which is worse? And granted, nobody's ever heard you crack your knuckles. And everybody now has heard that. Let's see. Can I? Ew. Ah. Ew. I don't think it's that bad. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'll tell you. You get used as to it as really as easily. As, as Ethan used to say when we were little, when he was little, that's disgusting. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so Vinny Bonsignor, who, uh, is now in Vegas covering the Raiders for the Vegas, uh, review journal. Um, it's a hyphenate. Uh, he's going to join us right around the top of the hour, 10 o'clock to talk NFL. Uh, I'm sure we'll keep talking a little bit of game two, uh, Lakers overall. And he's to work for him. So we can go yeah. the way back machine. He's got a talk. Uh, talk going to say story. Vinny's got some memories of some of the older Lakers that that'll be pretty fun. And so initially, Andy, I was a little bit concerned, like when we, you know, how are we going to do this show? You know, obviously, you know, the, uh, the NFL is a big deal. Uh, the NBA finals are a big deal. What do we do? How do we break this thing up? Uh, I was a little concerned. We wouldn't have enough time to talk about the Lakers, but given where this series is going, I'm actually really glad we can <laughs> turn our attention. So there's not like Lakers win 124, 114. I mean, credit to Miami. I thought, you know, they played really hard. They had a good game plan. They did the best they could. There was literally no point in that game where I thought the Lakers even were slightly threatened to lose. No, like, Miami no, never. Miami made a few runs, and they're a team that is going to fight hard. It's just the way that they're wired. You know, I, I, it was interesting. I heard pregame, and I don't remember which reporter it was, but somebody asked uh, Eric Spolstra about whether or not there, there's a certain freedom in this game that I, Jesse Phelps pointing out. People crack knuckles. Brian's thing is really disturbing. But uh, someone asked Eric Spolstra um, if, if there's a certain freedom that comes with, you know, having – two of your three best players down and you go out there and you've got nothing to lose. And Eric Spolzer said, no, we do have something to lose the finals. Like we're, we're here to try to win a championship no matter who's available. Right. So, you know, and, and that's not a cliche. That's how that team is wired. Right. And that's so all you know like, what's what's the there? other answer? Right. Exactly. Um, but Miami made some runs and, you know, they pushed the lead down to, I think, four at one point. Mm -hmm. And then there was a bunch of times where they get it slightly below double digits. But the Lakers were never not in control of that ever, game. ever. And there was and any time they needed a bucket, they knew they could get it. Like it was just it was it was it was another spectacular performance from Anthony Davis, who was 15 to 20 from the floor, hit. I believe 14 of his first 15 shots, 32 points, 14 rebounds. LeBron, 33, 9, and 9. Zero turnovers in 39 Amazing. minutes, which is incredible. Amazing. Um, 
I'm going to here's Rondo only had one turnover, by the way. I, the Lakers, I mean, the, the Lakers turned it over, I think, I want to say eight times in the first quarter, seven or eight times in the first quarter, and they ended with nine. So, I mean, they played a really clean game after that. Um, most of their, 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 uh, I haven't looked at the final book, but most of the, uh, the turnovers were in the first quarter. I'm, you know, we sit here and we try, Andy, to like, what's the, you know, like, how'd they do the pick and roll? What about the zone and this and that? And it's like, okay, you want to hear my analysis? Miami doesn't have nearly enough good players. When no. Bam Adebayo are out and Goran Dragic are out, they don't have nearly enough good players. And the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who, I, as I just mentioned, were a combined 29 of 45 from the floor. Yeah, I mean, there, there were things that Miami was trying to do. You know, they were running a lot of that zone that they've been really successful with. Sure. And the, Laker, the Lakers were really, really good at using their size advantage in inside that zone, making sure that either LeBron and or Anthony Davis was always you know, inside that thing, getting the ball in the middle, working you know inside out or finding some type of baseline cutter, something like that. And, and the Lakers just don't – I mean, the, the Heat just don't have – the type of size right now to to offset no. guys like LeBron or Anthony Davis inside your zone, right? Like they, they can't do anything with that. And and what's well, and I was just saying, and, and beyond that, like you know, they they did what they had to do in the in in terms of trying to use the zone and all that kind of stuff. And the Lakers, even when they had stretches where they were missing shots, and that happened. I mean, KCP was finished, I believe, one of ten from three point range. And uh, two of 11, I'm sorry. And, and and Danny Green was one for eight. The Lakers still shot 34% from three. So with, with those two guys shooting three for 19 from three, they still shot 34%. And what I thought was impressive about it was even when those shots weren't falling, even that like they were getting not just open shots, but like really clean, good looks off of the extra pass with great ball movement. They they they, never, they didn't have to settle for shots at any point against that zone all night. No. No, they 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 missed some open looks from behind the arc and you know uh Kyle Kuzma talked about after the game that had they shot, you know, 37 38%, you know, something like that uh from 3 which they could have just based off the looks that they got. You know, the the three-point shots never going to be this team's specialty. But like in terms of the actual looks and what they what they had the opportunity to do, he joked that they would have scored 200 points, and that's an exaggeration. But they could have maybe gotten to 140, 145 with some of those looks that were available. I mean, they, they executed make or miss against that look from Miami extremely well. Yeah. They, they just did. They they did it really really well. Um, I. It sucks. Like, I mean, look, the Lakers, the Lakers are going to win the NBA title short of LeBron or AD getting hurt. Something like if, if nothing strange happens, the Lakers are going to win a title. It is not the, the series is over. Even if Dragic and Bam are able to play, and even if they're able to play as if they never got hurt, I don't think Miami could win four times in five tries against the Lakers. Um it really sucks that this series has been made over before it really had a chance to start. Yeah, I, I feel I feel bad for Miami with that because you know they've they've had one hell of a run as a five seed getting Absolutely. to the finals and they've been by far the best team in the East. 
But I also feel bad for the Lakers in a way because they're the better team anyway. And mm-hmm. both of us thought that they would end up beating Miami regardless of who was available, who isn't available. But they've also been through a lot, you know, not just in the bubble, but over the course of this season, they want this championship to mean everything it possibly can. And I'm not saying it's somehow diluted or an asterisk or anything no, like that. You're not going to do with that, but somebody right. else is going to. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, it's – and it sucks to see that happen. Like, it, it just – it it sucks for everybody involved. Like honestly, it sucks for us. I mean, I, and I mean us in the royal like basketball fan community. It's like, I you know, and I'm not that we suffered to get through this, but like these guys, you know, they played like gonna, they, they did the disagree, man. The previous six or seven years that you and no, I've okay, been covering okay, this okay, team, well, let's separate us our asses, asses off. Hold man. on, let me finish with the royal basketball community, and then we'll get to us. Okay. Um, so make sure. I mean, literally the literal us, but like the. It's like you, you, you know, it's been a, it's been a shitty year. It's been a shitty six months. Like this bubble has been a rousing success. We've learned that it's harder on these guys and we gave them credit for, I think everybody's adjusted their thinking now. Um, but like you want that payoff, the playoffs have been great. Yes. They uh, have. You know, even in these dominant series, like the quality of basketball was what Miami did in Milwaukee, while it wasn't like a nail biter kind of series was really exciting. It was exciting to watch with the Lakers, did with Denver, I thought was a you know, that was one of the most entertaining five game series I've ever seen. You had the seven game series with Utah and Denver. You had Toronto and Boston going to seven. There's been a lot of good stuff that's happened in this bubble, and to not get that payoff, I mean, it's bad. It's a bummer for the league. You know, all the work that they did, like the ratings for Game One were terrible. They're going to be bad again tonight. Like, there's nothing to draw people into this series uh, to give the NBA the kind of payoff. That you know, you kind of wish they had, given what they've done to pull off this postseason. Yeah, again, it just it it sucks for everybody involved, and hopefully, Bam and or Dragic can come back just to make these games more competitive, make them feel like there's more of a sense of mystery to them before you know before they, in a lot of ways, feel in a lot of ways they feel done before they even begin. Right, and totally. and that sucks. Um, yeah. You, it was funny watching this game because uh, Rajon Rondo, another terrific game. He played really he well. Was, he was really great. 16 points, 10 assists, just one turnover, three of four from behind the arc. And, and I tweeted this out during the game at Cam Brothers. You know, th- they have been leaving Rondo op- like wide open in the same way teams all playoffs and frankly all season. And one could even say a lot of Rondo's career, he has been left wide open from behind the arc and he's been drilling a lot of threes during these playoffs and it reminded me of remember in 2009 when the Lakers were in the finals and you obviously had Kobe who's Kobe Powell who's Powell Bynum who was you know closing in on an all-star level talent Mm -hmm. and Derek Fisher was just too clutch in reputation to ever leave open, and they just dared Trevor Ariza to hit wide-open threes, and Ariza shot 45% in that series. And that's what I'm being reminded of a lot with uh, Rondo. With Rondo, what's right funny, though, is like he's been – he shot this well throughout the – like he came into – of all the rotation guys, he came into this series with the highest three-point percentage of anybody on the team. I know. Well, he's been – I remember I did a breakdown for something I wrote for The Athletic 
uh, right around the restart. And I noted how Rondo Rondo's percentages from wide open, like, you know, uh, you'll go to like, uh, go to nbastats.com and they'll start getting into the real breakdowns. And, you know, it's the defender, how close they are, like six feet or more is considered wide open. Wide open. Like the, A, the amount of shots that Rondo takes wide open is uh, disproportionately high. But his percentages while left open, which is basically all of them, are good. Yeah. Like he's low-key one of their more consistent three-point shooters. You just don't think of him that way. You know, and I understand what Miami was trying to do tonight in terms of just like, you don't have the personnel. Like you got to pick your poison. You don't have your personnel. You just hope the Lakers have one of those nights where they shoot 22% from three and they can't hit and they get a little frustrated, a little bogged down. And, and, and you, you know, meanwhile, you kind of go nuclear a little bit on your side of things. And, you know, Duncan Robinson hits, you know, eight of 14 from three or whatever it might be. And you have a chance to stay in the game. None of those things happened. Duncan Robinson was two of seven. The problem is the Lakers are too good defensively. And, you know, even in those stretches where Miami is capable of slowing the Lakers down just by playing hard, coaxing lesser shots. I don't think the Lakers took 10 bad shots all night. I don't think the ball movement was just too good. But lesser shots, the problem is, is Miami's got to figure out a way to score. And they were game. Jimmy Butler got to the line 12 times. They Jimmy Butler hard. was fantastic He was great. 25 points, 13 assists, 12 free throws. Eight rebounds. I mean, I, I kept seeing like all these analogies. Like, Jimmy Butler's got to be more aggressive. If they want to try to win this game. Like, on what planet? Like they were a minus three in the forty-five minutes that Jimmy Butler didn't play. In the three minutes Butler sat, they were a minus seven. This is a like, great. What do you want from the guy? It's a great stat I saw. Uh, Malika Andrews from ESPN tweeted out per ESPN stats and info. Jimmy Butler carried quite the load in forty-five minutes of play. He scored or assisted on fifty-seven points. His most in a playoff game in his career. I agree. I don't know what the hell the guy was supposed to be doing that he wasn't already. Give give the give the dude a break. But like you know, they started Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Myers Leonard, Robinson, and Tyler Hero. I mean, Tyler Hero is a great young player, but he played forty three minutes tonight. And off the bench, you're talking Kelly Olynyk. You know, Solomon Hill got a minute. Iggy and and Kendrick Nunn. I mean, if this was and I know they're trying to make a product interesting on ESPN. You know, the ABC guys, you know, they got to find a way to fight. They got to fight like, no, you got to find a way to get your other players back on the floor. Because if you saw this team matched up against the Lakers going into the series, you'd pick the Lakers to sweep. No, you got to find, you don't need to find a way to fight. You need to find a way to rehab. Right. Or or go to time machine and make those guys not hurt. Like Like you got to do, you got to do the Mr. Miyagi. There, there is. and, And look, and to their credit, I tweeted this out early in the game. Like the the only way there's somewhere in the middle of the middle of the first quarter, middle of the second quarter. Like the only way the Lakers lose this game is if they stop paying attention, if they stop, you know, sort of concentrating, stop, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about put your foot down and stomp them on the neck. I just, I mean, it would have been nice if they run out to another 35 point lead and call it a day. Sure. That's not really how the NBA works. When you dominate a game from end to end, the NBA, you did you did a good job, and the Lakers dominated, controlled this game throughout, and they won by double digits. That's a real win in the NBA against any team. It's like if if and they won't do that. The Lakers aren't going to slip in that way and just get super complacent during a game 
Um, not that in a way still, that's going to hurt. Not in a way that matters in a game that's still in contention. Like they they let off a little bit in the fourth quarter when, they, but and you know Miami goes on a seventeen to whatever run, and then now they're down by nineteen. Like that's not that's not what I'm talking about. Where like where the Lakers would have let a, a twelve point lead go to the point where Miami's got to leave. They, they are not going to do that against this version of the Heat. They're not, and so I don't understand. Miami did everything they could, and it's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, especially with LeBron and Anthony Davis playing the way they are right now. A couple stats that I saw over Twitter, one from uh, uh, Anthony Slater from The Athletic, and these numbers um, came out during the game, so they're not likely completely up to date, but you know, they, they still demonstrate, if anything, they probably should be better now. But uh, Anthony Davis on twos in these playoffs, restricted area, 74 of 93, 79.5%. Non-restricted area paint, 31 of 62, 50%. Mid-range, 48 of 93, 51.6%. That is bananas amazing. And then LeBron, uh, courtesy of Jared Weiss, LeBron James used 37 possessions where he either shot it, drew free throws, or got an assist all without a single turnover. Mm-hmm. The only players to use more possessions without a turnover in the finals are MJ twice, Magic, and Shaq per Sport Radar. I mean, when guys play like this over the course of the series, you're done. Like you're just you're done. Assuming the other, you know, the other eight guys in the rotation like show up, you know, like they, they actually work. remember to bring their sneakers, you're yes. done. It's over. And I, 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 we've talked about this a lot and I, I, we can keep talking about it because Anthony, like who, who do you give? I think Davis ends up, if they play two more, three more games, just like this with both performances, I think the story gives the, the MVP to, to AD, but like you could argue about it. Um, you could argue about it. I, I actually wonder if LeBron ends up winning in part because of the sentiment with the MVP voting in the regular season? Maybe. I could see that. Right or wrong, I'm just wondering if that could potentially yeah, happen. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the ascendance of AD has been such a dominant story. I mean, it's amazing we're already talking about who's going to be the MVP. Um, you know, again, but it's something, it, though, that's been talked about throughout these entire entire playoffs because they've both been oh i mean but i just mean like that you know the series is is functionally over to the point where you can start having this conversation because like if it's one one and everybody on miami is healthy and whatever you're like oh i wonder if like if miami wins like goran dragic could be your mvp like wouldn't that be a crazy story like like this is i mean the way this blueprint and i think this is actually something we we might talk about with Vinny when, when he gets on the show, like the way this blueprint kind of worked out this year and some of it was luck and some of it was, was calculated luck and some of it was design. Um, it, it, it couldn't, none of this could have worked any better. Like none of it, like you look around at, at Davis and, and LeBron, they have been exactly as advertised all season long. You know, a couple, I guess, minor moments where you're like, hmm, AD not seeing what it was. Like, you know, when they got back into the bubble, he wasn't particularly good, at least not until the playoffs started. But then, you, you know, the supporting cast, the Dwight thing has worked out great. Um, you know, the, Danny Green has been a positive influence despite not playing all that, you know, shooting the ball at the level I think people hoped he would. 
And, you know, you get the the Rondo thing blows up in the playoffs and Alex Caruso kind of breaks out. Like, it's it's hard to tell kind of where where the design starts, the luck starts, because, like, Kuzma hasn't played the way they thought that sure. they would and hasn't mattered. I mean, how much of this do you think is just LeBron and AD are just that fucking good and it, the rest of it matters on the periphery? I mean, there, there have been, you know, during the Lakers' three-peat run, there were years where the supporting cast really came through and made and made some really really strong contributions, and then there were series where it was really Kobe and Shaq, and, and it really felt like Kobe and Shaq were doing damn near everything. Um, so it can be both. Yeah. I mean, I know, like I remember, for example, down the stretch in two thousand two, and you know, the third of the three consecutive. You know, my memory of that year was that the further they went into like those playoffs and especially, you know, the, those games against Sacramento, which was the tightest series of any that they played in the playoffs, it really started feeling like Kobe and Shaq and the other guys being pretty peripheral. But, you know, maybe I'd have to go back and watch some of this or look at some numbers. But I remember feeling at the time like those two in particular, especially as the series started getting more hairy that those two really just started taking over. Or at the very least, it was Kobe Shaq with Fox, Fisher, Ori doing some stuff and literally nobody else doing a damn thing. Like, I, I don't I don't remember much from, like, Samaki Walker. I don't remember much from Lindsey Hunter, uh, who I think was on that team. You know, I, I there, there were a few. There were some – I don't remember a lot of other guys in 2002 in particular. Uh, interesting question from KR – KRS underscore Levert. Could mm -hmm. we give them co-MVPs? Has that ever happened before? I have Could, no idea. I just looked it up. It has not. But are they and allowed it, to? Um, well, I don't know if it's so much allowed to. Um, I mean, because the votes could end up split. I mean, I don't know if there's an even amount of voters, you know, so where you could even potentially have a split. Like, right. I, don't, I don't actually know. Um, would they? I don't see why they wouldn't if that's I the mean, way the voting turns out. I mean, if, it, if the voting ends up in a tie, it's a tie and they're co MVPs. But I don't know if, like, you'd almost have to have the writers kind of engineer it to make it work out that way. I mean, it's, it's a cool idea. I like it. I mean, I mean, sometimes those things sort of things feel like, you know, kindergarten where everybody gets like a ribbon, but like, how do you necessarily? choose i mean they this is because this is and this is what i think is is cool about this partnership is like they lebron the d wade and lebron was asked about this after the game lebron d wade has said um you know ad is the best fit like with lebron like better fit than I me mean, he didn't say better i don't think he said better player but he's definitely said better fit and um LeBron was like, that's a great compliment. But he's exactly right. Like, it's hard when they're playing this well together, it's hard to tell exactly which guy is sort of the extension of the other. LeBron obviously is the table setter and the catalyst, I think, for the offense and makes Davis a lot better. But the same is true of AD for LeBron. I mean, the amount of space that that Davis opens up to help LeBron get to the bucket to, to like, it's, it's tremendous. And so, you know, they, they are truly, it is, it is such a, a great partnership on the floor. Forget how they get along off the floor, but like the basketball parts of this 
it's as good of a superstar tandem as a pairing and like may, this makes basketball sense as anything that the league has ever put together in the super team era. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of Kobe and Shaq's dominance, but with Kobe and Powell's relationship. You know what I yeah. mean? Because Kobe and Powell were perfectly, perfectly paired with each other in terms of skill set, but also they had the perfect temperament to work with each other in ways that Kobe and Shaq didn't, even though Kobe and Shaq were on the court more dominant than Kobe and Powell, as great as Kobe and Powell, you know, Kobe and Shaq was Kobe and Shaq. Right. Like, that's that's not comparable. These guys are like the best combination of those two pairings, which means that assuming you know LeBron can hold off Father Time for another couple of years, the league could be in some trouble. Yeah, it's it's fascinating what this because I I think people looked looked at this relationship, looked at this year, was like oh, they better do it quickly because you know if they don't, you know the the league is going to catch up and Golden State's coming back, and all of this is sort of true. But I do think the window is a is a little bit bigger than I than than maybe they were giving credit for at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, it, some of this was I I can say right now I thought the two of them would play really well together. Oh, for sure. I didn't think that they would play this well together this quickly. Like from game one, it, it reminded me a lot of remember when Powell joined the Lakers and the first game they played together. I think it was nets on the road like you would have thought kobe and Powell had played three seasons together the mm -hmm. way they looked the first time they were on the court that's like lebron and ad like and i'm sure they had some summer work together and whatever but they looked just phenomenal together and just th their chemistry together in so many different ways is just perfect and again if the two of them stay healthy all of that stuff like they could be, like you said, jamming open that window a little bit longer than a lot of the conventional wisdom would have said. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't want to call this series over yet. I mean, they still got to play two more games, and who knows? Over. Who's back. It's over. I mean, this it, it's over. The, Miami's not winning the series if the Lakers don't fall apart. I mean, yeah. physically don't fall apart because right. mentally I, they're not going to. And even if they go through a couple of colds, even Miami may win a game. They're not going to beat. They're not going to win four or five. Assuming the Lakers stay healthy, like it, assuming they stay healthy, and really assuming LeBron and Anthony Davis stay healthy, yes, it's not going to happen. I mean, if if Miami gets their full complement back, four out of five is a monster task. Against right. I, mean, I, I, I I'm not. I'm not like suddenly copping to something. It's like. I picked the Lakers in six. Like, if I yeah. thought the Lakers could lose this series, lose four out of five at any point in this series, I wouldn't have picked them to win in six. Uh, here's some good advice, by the way, from MVP Davey. Look, at the end of the day, I will celebrate this chip the same way I did the last five. Loud AF. Yeah. Damn right. Yes. No, I yeah. mean, good. don't, I mean, look, just because somebody, somebody else is going to go out and try to cheapen this on yeah. behalf of, you know, people who don't like LeBron, people who don't like the Lakers, doesn't mean Lakers fans have to. Like, don't let Skip screw that. Bayless down. Like no. that, it's going to be Skip Bayless trying to ruin this thing for you. Don't take the bait. Like, just don't do it. No, no, it's not. I mean, the, the, the there's nothing cheap about this. Like everybody had to go through this. Everybody, I mean, everybody had to make their way through this thing. And obviously, the Lakers have been through a just f ton of of stuff. Still trying to figure out the balance. Like, when do you throw? Because I already did an f bomb earlier. Like, how many do you do in one show? Is there a limit? Is it like you know? 
you want to you want to toe that line. You don't want to be gratuitous, Andy. This is what I would say. This would be my advice to you, Brian. Pick your spots, but follow your heart. Fucking a. That's right. Yeah, I see it right there. I don't. Think <laughs> that, was, that was too hard. I tried to try to make the joke. I tried to make the joke, and it didn't work. Yeah, you, you see that that was part of not picking your spots. No, you're right. Oh, your heart. Fortunately, fortunately, we have a duo lead in this series already. Um, <laughs> in, 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 as as far as a show metaphor kind of goes, Sector Cruz is here with me as I try to work through my problems. Um, we couldn't do this when we were doing the show directly with ESPN. It was a non-issue. We weren't allowed to say, you know, you know, balls or, you know, penis or things like that. I don't know. You can say that. Let us lay some ground along those lines. He's, he's, yeah. Lovetard has done a very good job, like, really figuring out what you can and what you can't say. Right. Karis LeVert points out, like, that shot, the one that I did before – was like coups against Michael Porter Jr. It was just ill-advised. There was there was a lot. <laughs> that was Casey pulling up in transition for a three with four minutes left. Right. I mean, again, like everybody, everybody takes. But as Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Miss a hundred percent of the f bombs that you don't drop. Exactly. Um, Vinny's been hanging. He's just there. We should, should we just bring him in? Yeah, I mean, we'll bring at him this in. point. Well, actually, thirty seconds early. I don't know. You know uh, let's add him in. So here we go, and we'll unmute him. We love Vinny. We'll take an extra 30 seconds of Vinny any day of the week. Well, Vinny might have to unmute himself. Yeah, he does have to unmute himself. Uh, well, let me see. Can I unmute it? No. Here we go. He just did it. Okay. Hey, Can you hear us? He's pressing buttons. Can you hear him, Andy? No, I cannot. Okay. Okay, now Wait. we can. I believe we can now. There we go. I do so many different setups these days. I do Zoom, Skype. I do this. I do that. Some, well, sometimes I got to plug in a microphone. Sometimes I get here just over the computer. So whatever well, works. Yeah, and exactly. we can hear you and we can see you. And that's what matters. Vinny Bonsignor, uh, our, our former colleague at The Athletic, yes. now with the Las Vegas Review-Journal, uh, yes. covers, the, covers the Raiders there. He's the host of In the Huddle on Raider Nation Radio. He is still... The uh, NFL Insider here at in uh, 570, right um, on on the local radio station here, the the uh, the Fox affiliate uh, out here in LA. So you are all over the place. Yes, <laughs> it, se it seems that way. Yes, uh, doing doing everything I can, but uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. No question no, about it. No, Roberto Jones, that is not Gary Vitti. That is our friend. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll take that compliment. Yeah, you. Yeah. I, we told everybody that uh, later on in the show, we're going to get into your days with the Lakers, you know, yes. beginning when you actually worked with them, yeah. uh, then covering them, because you've seen a lot in your yes, day. And you, you, you've seen a lot that some of our viewers may have only really heard about or read about mm -hmm. because they weren't there yeah. for it. Um, right. So definitely going to get into some of that with you. But um, you're up in now with with these Las Vegas Raiders, can you believe it? The Las Vegas Raiders. Talking to people out here that you know have been here for a long time. First of all, just the growth of this of this area. You know, I was like everybody else. I would come into Las Vegas and go to the Strip and come back home, and that was that. You know, you, you don't realize that this is actually a, a growing city and a growing market and a growing area. Uh, there's beautiful suburbs. You don't even know that you're in Las Vegas. And for the for the locals that have been here for a long time, 
the, the growth in terms of it being a sports market um, and, and seeing the Golden Knights do their thing. And now the, the Raiders are here. Uh, I don't think anybody would have ever predicted this 10 years ago, but, but you know, um, ideas changed, um, feelings changed about, you know, the obvious gambling, uh, you know, connections and, and you know, here in Las Vegas. Uh, and I think people started seeing this for the great town that it is now and the great market that it is fully capable of being able to to uh, to embrace and support professional sports, and I mean the Milwaukee Bucks owner just comes out the other day and says it's not a question of when, but or if, but when uh, the NBA comes here. And I can absolutely see that there's beautiful venues here and um, no state well, tax. That, are that, that arena is already there and it's gorgeous. Yes, and they're also building a new uh, Madison Square Garden uh, not too far from there as well. So whether it's T-Mobile or the Madison Square Garden that they're building. Um, Wait, there's, yeah, you can build a you can build a Madison yes. Square Garden in Vegas. You're allowed to do that. You can. It's it's owned by the same people. So um, you know they it's 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 just off the strip, not too far off the strip, and and it's it's the, the name Madison Square Garden is on there. Uh, I don't know if they're gonna call it exactly that, but it's like the garden something along those lines, and uh, and it's gonna be a beautiful arena. So it's just building and building and building. It's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, how big this area is getting and how big league it's starting to feel. You know, it's funny when you're mentioning the NBA being an inevitability in Vegas, we're not that far removed. We want to know that team every year at home. <laughs> we're not that far removed. from Remember the just disastrous all-star weekend in Las yes. Vegas when the yes. NBA had it there and basically everybody vowed that will never happen right. again. If you, you know, the conventional wisdom would say if you can't have NBA All Star Weekend in Las Vegas, you can't have a team there either. And you know, yeah, the, and we will still talk about that here. <laughs> People yeah. still talk about that. that I, I wasn't thing. there, but I was going to say it was apparently just out of control. Yeah, and, and you know, on top of the other concerns that you talked about with with gambling and stuff, but I think. In part, Las Vegas, and I, you inferred this a little bit, or at least this is the way I took it. You know, Vegas has become much more family friendly, oh, yeah. even over the last ten or so years, which makes, which I think lays the ground for corporate sports to exist there more. But just yeah. there's also just this openness in all the big four sports towards gambling now. Like it, right. it is part of the landscape. Yeah, and I remember uh, it was probably. 2017, I guess it was. It was. It was shortly after the Raiders started making their uh, intentions known uh, that they were, you know, looking to move here. And I remember there was a, a league meeting somewhere, might have been Arizona. I don't remember where it was, but I remember talking to Mark Davis about the owner of the Raiders about that very thing about, um, you know, about about the gambling aspect. And he pulled out his phone. He's like, Vinny, I could gamble right here on my phone. I don't need to go to a casino to bet on sports. If if I was trying to do that, which he isn't, but 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 it's right. so easy now to gamble. The, the whole thing with with the casinos and that aspect of it, and it, it became a non-factor basically. And the other part of it is they take pride here in governing that and controlling that and being on top of it. In fact, you could probably make an argument that there isn't an, uh, a region in this country that is able to, that understands it and, and, and manages it and controls it more than, than this area. That's what they do for a living out here. I, okay, so I have a quick follow-up to that question that I wanna to get to you, because and it's actually based on 
what I could see on on your paper's website. Uh, yeah. You know, when I was doing some stuff. But the first question I have though before that is, how do you have conversations with Mark Davis without just looking here? <laughs> Like, you know, like, you know, like the old yes. days, you know, you meet, you're like, you know, hey, 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 conversations up here, man. Uh, like, yes. does he look yes. at the com- what, like, how do you do that? Because it I don't think a I little could. while it took a little <laughs> while, but after a while, you kind of get used to it. And, and you know, you you start focusing on, on, on other areas, but there's no doubt that and he does it for a reason. It's not there's there's like a, a little bit of a method to, to the madness um, w- with him. And, and you know, I think just think he's. He's a very humble guy to be to be honest with you, and and uh, I don't think he wants to present himself as anything more than he isn't, which is the steward of the Raiders, the Raiders' biggest fan in the world. Um, he, you know, he's not you in this. A, for, you could do those things with a grown-up haircut. You could, <laughs> you could, but he opts not to, and, and 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 he doesn't live a lavish lifestyle. And um, you know, you've all heard the stories about you know the PF Changs and and right. even there. Uh, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, like that was on my list. Have you either eaten outside, uh, you know, socially distant, responsibly with at a PF Chang's with Mark Davis, or have you guys gone to a park takeout? On a blanket, we haven't. There was there was one night where um, there was a, a you know he, it was it was during the time where the NFL was, um, you know, making decisions on how many fans could be at games, uh, and he was super upset because his whole thing was remember they they, they wanted to tarp the first eight rows. And he was against that um, because he didn't want to sell his soul. Basically, he didn't want to sell advertising where key fans of his were going to be sitting, so those fans could watch on TV and see their seats covered by Modelo beer or Budweiser right. or whatever the case was. So, um, you know, he wants to do the story and 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 express himself. And you know, we were talking back and forth, and he calls me up one night. It was probably like ten thirty. And uh, at night, you know, hey, how you doing? And uh, he was headed to there's a there's an Italian restaurant out here called uh, it's it's the um, Bootlegger Bistro. So he's like, yeah, I'm on my way to the Bootlegger right now. <laughs> it's That's right an on Italian this, restaurant. Yeah, it's the Bootlegger, like you know, an Italian Bootlegger. Okay. The, the liquor and everything like that. And I'm, I'm like, it's 10:30, and you're just starting. You're just heading out, you know, to dinner right now. And uh, and he goes, I'll call you afterwards. And so he did, which was about 1.30 a.m. to like, you know, let's let's talk about, you know, the, the, the story and everything like that. But that's kind of how he is. And and so it's not he's, 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 he's an interesting guy, but his heart is in the right place. And that's what I try to tell Raider fans all the time. He, all they ever wanted was a place to call home, a stadium that that could put them um, financially on on a footing with with the 31 other teams that have many of whom built new stadiums and were able to tap into all these new revenue streams that they the Raiders didn't have access to up in Oakland kind of like the Rams in St. Louis and the Chargers in San Diego that's why they were always 30th 31st 32nd in league right. and revenue uh that changed that that all changed here and, and in retrospect um when you look at you know you go back to 2016 when the Raiders were denied Los Angeles, the Rams got the bid to St. Louis and the Chargers got that second option. Uh, that was a pretty devastating day for the Raiders. But in retrospect, now that you see where they are now, they probably made off better than. Oh, for sure. What does I, that mean, I, though? You could argue, uh, really quick, you could argue sure. that it's actually, in the end, more devastating for Los Angeles than the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean the, the, you you know, the Rams and Raiders shared that stadium. 
Oh my God. Like what that would mean during NFL season every week in this town. I know. And, and I, I think if you, I, I, I remembered throughout 2015, you know, during that whole ordeal, uh, there was no doubt that, you know, I think the Rams were a little bit worried about that possibility because, you know, they understood like the Raiders still have a strong foothold in, in Los oh, Angeles. Really? If you, if you were to talk to Rams people now, I think they would have I, – I know that they would say, you know what, that probably wouldn't have been the worst play because I, we would have our, our side of town, the Raiders would have had their side of it's town. It's good for interest. It, it's better like it's better for interest in the city. If, if the Rams are going to be good, if the Rams suck, it's a problem. Right. You know what, in 15 years, assuming that like if the Rams suck and the Chargers – even if people might care about the Chargers, they might not. They're not going to care about the Rams if the Rams suck or not in the same right. way. Regardless, um, right. Right, and, and so, I think the Rams are going to be fine. And I think that if you're Stan Kroenke, you at least at the very bet, at the very least, you you would understand. You you, knew, you know now that the Raiders would have sold out their PSLs and their season tickets. They have here it's sixty five thousand strong. Uh, they sold out their season tickets like that. The Rams haven't oh, done that. The Chargers yeah. haven't done that. Um, and and they come from everywhere. There's you know a good fifteen to twenty percent of their fan base comes from season ticket base. It's from Los Angeles, another 15 to 20 from the Bay Area, the rest here and elsewhere. So that would have existed for them in Los Angeles. But even nevertheless, like you said, it, it probably hurt Los Angeles more than the Raiders. Because if you now when you look at where the Raiders are, you drive down by Allegiant Stadium. There's no question whose stadium that is. It's the Raiders stadium. It looks like the Raiders. It feels like the Raiders outside, inside. That would have never been the case with SoFi Stadium. It would have looked more probably Rams oriented or just, you know, uh, non either team. Uh, right. that, then you go over, you know, not far from, from here, um, their beautiful facility in Henderson, which they built simultaneous to the stadium. They have like one, probably the best, the, the nicest, you know, team facility now of any team in the league. And, and they would have never been able to do that in Los Angeles. The Rams can't do that yet in LA. They still haven't no. figured out where it's going to be, uh, let alone started building. Neither are the Chargers. They're still in Orange County. Meanwhile, the Raiders stepped foot their first day in, in, in Las Vegas. They had the brand new stadium and the great new facility. None of that probably happens in LA. They got it here. So in the whole scheme of things, they probably were better off at, what, what at the very no doubt in the Chargers. What does it mean, though? Like you talk about the Raiders, you know, that they they, the Raiders are, are, you know, obviously a huge brand and they're sometimes good and they made the splash with Gruden and all that. But like, what is it to go from the bottom of the league in revenue to wherever they'll end up? Not at the bottom, you know, but I don't know. They're way up there. But, you know, but somewhere in that, what is that? It's been so long since the Raiders were a money machine. So what does that mean for the team? Like, where does that where does that let them go? Well, it it, it removes um, the concern, the financial element of it uh, in terms of creating Gruden's yeah. checks won't bounce. <laughs> Gruden's checks won't bounce, and and that was you know when you when you look at that contract, it's ten years obviously and a hundred million dollars I guess. But what but the reality behind that was the Raiders took a good long look at themselves in the mirror and said we don't. We haven't been doing this right for 15, 20 years or so. It's always been the quick fix. It's always been the band-aid on the gushing wound to try to to try to you know get by. Uh, what they ultimately decided was, look, we want to do this right. We really want to do this right, and we want to give whoever we decide to to put our faith in. It was John Gruden after being talked out of you know retirement and the and the Monday Night Football booth. 
you're going to get the money, but you're also going to get the time and you're going to get the runway. It might take a little while, but that's fine. We'd rather it take a little while in order to get it right and set ourselves up for a prolonged period of success. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're not quite there yet. Uh, there's still some, some, you know, uh, holes on the roster that they have to address, but they're moving in the right direction. And John Gruden understands. He has, he jokes with me all the time. You know, th their, their team is extremely young. He's like, not bad for a guy that everyone thinks wouldn't, isn't ready to play young guys. I mean, he's like, complete opposite of what he had been where it was all veterans going to get a better quarterback building a veteran team if you look I, I i think it's they're averaging maybe 25 years old on their roster a ton of first and second year guys uh so he understands it's 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 a process we're gonna we're gonna do it right we're gonna build for the draft make some you know key free agent signings along the way but but he knows he has the time in order to get it right it might take a little while hopefully it's not going to be too long too much longer uh, but he has that confidence and that faith in, in ownership to go ahead and take the time to do it right. And that's something the Raiders haven't done in a long time. What's his, uh, from what you gather, what's the relationship like between him and David uh, and uh, Derek Carr? Because that's something that gets speculated about a lot. It, Carr's actually, look right now, he's paced to have a career year. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you look at, I mean, it's a small sample size, but three games in, he is paced to have, maybe the best year of his career, certainly the best season in several years, but there's always been that narrative that Gruden hasn't quite bought in on him. Right. Well, and there, and, and, and that's an interesting point you bring up because that narrative existed from day one when John Gruden took over. Oh, he's going to go get his own quarterback is his guy. Well, it's been three years. There's been three drafts that have come and gone, three free agent periods that have come and gone. The Raiders traded Khalil Mack, their star defensive player. They traded Amari Cooper, their second star um, uh, offensive player. So they've they've gone drafts without drafting a quarterback, free agencies without signing a quarterback, aside from Marcus Mariota, who's more brought in to be a backup. And um, they've obviously shown a willingness to trade key players to go get draft picks and create a salary cap. But the one guy that's still here, and I think there's only three players left from that 2018 that he started with, maybe wow. four. Yeah. The, and turnover. Yeah, the, the, Ram, the, the Rams played the Raiders on a Monday night game to start that 2018 season. And there's really only maybe four players, Carr included. He's the one guy that, ironically enough, the guy that everyone thought was going to be out the first chance that Gruden got is the one that's still around. And if you talk – to um, you know, to Derek, he's never had. If you go back to his high school days, he's never had three success, three consecutive years with the same head coach, three consecutive years with the same offensive coordinator. Uh, so this is all new to him as far as the continuity and um, you know the, the the being able to to uh, just build on an offensive system rather than keep learning new ones over and over again. So when you see that he's playing well, a lot of that is the result of just the command that he has of this offense and the new players that he's, you know, that, that the Raiders have added around him. Now they've been banged up and injured, uh, but you know, eventually that should level off and we'll get it. Here's the thing. I think by the end of this year, uh, assuming they get their healthy players back, Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, another rookie wide receiver, some of their offensive linemen, by the end of the year, I think everyone will finally have a better understanding of is Derek Carr the guy, because this is the year that he's, right. You know, the most complete team that he's had to play with is this team. And so there's no more excuses because 
it's always been a bad offensive line or no running game or no defense or or a combination of all of those things. Whereas this year, there really is talent around him and it's on him now to take advantage and show them at the end of this year, looking back, hey, he's the guy to march forward with or not. So that's that's That was sort of the, the extension of my question is like, is you know, that you mentioned they've drafted rugs, they've drafted Jacobs, they like all, really good players in on the offensive side of the ball, and they haven't drafted a quarterback. Is is that still a really live question? Actually, in the building, actually in Vegas, like for people who are around the team every day, because um, it's I mean it's live for like national NFL, whatever. Where, yeah. but is it there or is it something that people have kind of stopped talking about a little bit more at least for now well if you talk to raider nation it's definitely there there's a complete split among raider fans on is he the guy or is he the guy oh, look, and I mean, I here's the question right here sector cruz asks is Derek Carr going to be the qb all season long or is mariota mariota going to usurp him since he's a mayock guy uh no i think it's there are a complete fall off by Derek Carr or injury no, I don't think Marcus Mariota um, takes his job, and uh, and 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 Mariota, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, uh, he was banged up uh, when he got here, and um, he's also learning a new system. And Gruden's system is pretty difficult to learn first go around. So without no OTAs and minicamp, uh, I mean, literally the first time that Marcus and this offense got together um, was the first day at training camp. And even then it was still just ramp up period till they were able to actually right. do football activities. So, and then he got hurt. Um, he had a pectoral injury that I mean, I, in training camp, there were a couple of times where he was throwing footballs that a sophomore in high school, that was the backup quarterback was throwing like into the ground and over people. And, and I'm like, what is wrong here? And as it turns out that he, he, he was hurt so that I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I, you know, right. happy for him that he was hurt. You know, thank uh, God for that. Yes, exactly. Because otherwise, there would have been an issue. But uh, he got back to practice this week. He'll have you know a couple of weeks for the Raiders to decide whether to add him to the uh, regular roster. But and I would think that you know if he is healthy, there'll be some packages for him because he does bring a, something that the that Derek Carr does, and that's the ability to make plays with his legs. So I think in the whole big scheme of things, the Raiders were envisioning, and John Gruden was envisioning. Um, utilizing him in some form or fashion, not as a starter, but as a packaged player. That's interesting. I mean, a, do you mean like a like Taysom Hill, like, yes. like that type of thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he he, there were. I mean, in spite of him throwing the ball into the ground a few times in training camp, there were some breathtaking plays that he made with his legs. Where you're going, oh wow, because yeah, you you just don't see Derek Carr making those kind of plays because he's just not that kind of an athlete. Whereas Marcus is definitely he still has that uh, going for him. So yeah, I think that like in goal line or in, in red zone situations or or the, kind of the way they used uh, Hill in in New Orleans, there's there's a, a chance for him to get on the field in those kind of situations. All right, so you you talk about the expectations and stuff, and you know this is the, a year that he's theoretically got talent around him if those guys come back from injury and and so on and so on. Yeah, they're two and one right now. They got a, 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 an interesting game this weekend uh, yeah. against the Bills. Um, I think everybody in LA saw what happened last week. You know, the Rams come back twenty eight three and then end up losing that game. Hell of a fun game to watch. Yeah, you know, you're, you're now in a division. You know, you're looking at it. You know, the Chiefs are the Chiefs, but the Chargers look like they're going to struggle. Um, yeah. And the Broncos are god awful. Um, right. 
and now there's there's an expanded and, and and there's with the expanded play. What are the expectations for the Raiders this season? I think second place in the AFC West is is legitimate and uh, and warranted. Uh, number one and number two, um, that could get you places with like you said the expanded playoffs. Uh, no, they you know Sunday's a tough game, obviously against the Buffalo Bills. I, you know. On the radio show that we do, Lincoln Kennedy and I, we were kind of going back and forth. And by the end of the week, we were like, wait a minute, look at who the – I mean, if you really look who the Bills played, they beat the Jets by a touchdown or so, maybe 10 <laughs> points. They, they beat the, the Dolphins by three points. Um, so there's your 2-0. and Then they you know, they came back and beat the Rams, and that, that was a nice win for them. Um, but, you know, when you start thinking 3-0 and and then you start looking behind the 3-0, and you're like – it's not as impressive as you know, uh, just on on paper. So I think there's a chance for the Raiders to, uh, to 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 be competitive in this game and maybe even win this game. But they need to because they've got Kansas City next week uh, in Kansas City, and then their bye week after that. And you know, obviously they lost last week against the Patriots, so they could ill afford to to go into the bye week, you know, on a three game losing streak at two and three. Uh, if they could get to the bye week at three and two, I think they'd be ecstatic. Uh, Memory's last has a question for you. What's your assessment on uh, Damon Arnett? I know it's early. He's dealing with an injury, uh, but just LT, you know, uh, he's, I believe, going to be out. Uh, they're guessing around six to eight weeks yeah. is what I'm Yeah, hearing. Yeah, at least a month. Um, you know, the way the IR rules work nowadays, it's it's three games, um, and then you're, you're capable of coming back. But he did just undergo surgery. I give him a lot of credit. That dude's a tough kid. He had a – yeah, a, fr a fractured, fractured thumb um, that he played through, and he was continually getting hurt. Every game was like he'd come up, you know, shaking it off. Um, but it just got to be too much. I think you know they haven't officially said what happened. It sounds like they may have, he may have either refractured it or worsened it um, against the Patriots, so he had to undergo surgery. Which talking to some doctors, they're like, that's probably the best thing. You're you're gonna heal quicker with the surgery, get it taken care of. So, so yeah, at least four weeks up to six weeks is what they're saying. But he was, uh, he was playing pretty well. I was going to ask, how big a loss is that for the Raiders? It's, it's, it, it's big because, um, you know, he was, he was they're, they're the number one guy opposite Trayvon Mullen, and, and decidedly so. He was, he was definitely the best player that they had at that position, you know, when you look at the backup. So, they're going to have to make do for a little while. Looks like Nevin Lawson, kind of a journeyman type guy, will get the first nod. Um, there's a there's a second year kid from Houston, Isaiah Johnson, who will get some run, and a, a rookie, uh, Amik Robertson, fourth round pick from Louisiana Tech. But it's you know it's a it's a big loss because the one thing about Arnett was the dude he just had like this swagger about him, like this presence about him, um, and you talk to him and he has a lot of confidence. And this one thing that's interesting about this this Raiders team is they've got a slew of Alabama kids, Clemson kids, Damon's from Ohio State, and you start talking to these guys and you realize that, yeah, this is a new level. The NFL, no doubt, is a, is a higher level. But those guys played at the highest possible level that you could, could in college. And not just who they played against, but when you're talking about the guys that Damon Arnett had to face on a daily basis in practice, and same with Jacobs, and, you know, Trayvon Mullen at Clemson, and Hunter Renfro is really a good football player, by the way. At Clemson, all these guys, you start looking at them and you're like, they're they haven't blinked at this level. They 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 feel like they belong and, and they do belong. So um, you know, Mike Mayock has made a has made a a habit basically of getting you know good players from really premier programs. And I think 
that's part of the the theory is that they're not going to be intimidated at, at this level. I mean, they've drafted I me mean, as much as people have criticized the the Mac trade and all that. They've used those right. picks on good players. I mean, you got to give them credit for that. Um, you got the Raiders had ran into trouble. Um, was it earlier this week? It was the Darren Waller event where the guys weren't wearing the masks and yes, and so on. And like the timing of it with what's going on in Tennessee this week. I not just necessarily with just the Raiders because you know guys were at the event they screwed up. I think you get it. But when you see the cancellation or the pushback of the Tennessee game and you know the the fallout from there and trying to figure out as just league wide and generally and you know from inside the Raiders and then what you know just from covering the league, what is what is the confidence that this can be kind of an isolated thing in Tennessee versus we're going to be reshuffling games all season long because baseball got off to a terrible start and then after that there weren't a lot of problems, but they had to squeeze the Marlins and the Cardinals in getting like 39 games in, in like 22 days. And you can't do right. that. With football. Yeah. And hence why there were people in the Raider organization that were highly pissed <laughs> at those guys <laughs> for doing what they did. It was, it was. Explain what they so. did for people who aren't aware. Well, okay. So months, Monday night, uh, Darren Waller, uh, the Raiders tight end, uh, has a gala event out in Henderson um, at this country club uh, for his foundation. And everyone, look, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to Darren Waller, but one of the great, great, great young kids, athletes, an inspiring story. He's come from the depths of hell himself. Uh, he's sober now for three years. And, um, I mean, he's got his life on the right track. He's, he's, he's you know, hugely talented in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and you just, it's easy to root for, for Darren Waller. And everybody understands that his foundation is doing great work. It's for young adults who are addicted to, to drugs. Uh, they raised $325,000. So let's just get that uh, out of the way. They, they did a fantastic job raising money for this foundation. The problem is, um, you know, you had over a hundred people at this, at this country club, just picture, you know, a fundraiser at a country club. We've all been there. We've all seen it's, it. It's not hard to no. picture. What's that? <laughs> yeah, like, look, I mean, not hard to picture. Us who have achieved the kind of success that we have. You don't have to explain what country club life is, man. Yes, exactly. like, well, no, but I, now, what do you do? Andy, what time are you going to the club tomorrow? Right. <laughs> well, okay. But picture <laughs> it's over a hundred people spread out amongst like maybe seven or eight tables. Nobody's wearing masks. None of the attendees are wearing masks. They're at this table. Here come the players. They're being introduced. Derek, part I got more that's not that hard to imagine these days. A bunch of uh, people in high places all gathered together indoors without what masks. What is this, Vinny? A Supreme Court press conference? <laughs> is this a debate? Wait, this was, this was a week after this was a week after Trump came out here, and the, you know the, they, the the organizers of that got slammed um, because they weren't following all the protocols and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So, so you have you know so so. And I saw the the video because um, one of our reporters were out was out there, and it's, it's I had just gotten back from New England um, earlier that day. It was like one of those long East Coast to West Coast trips. So by 10, 11 o'clock, I'm just out, and then I just started getting some texts, and I'm looking at my phone. I'm going, "What are these guys doing?" Because they all walk in, laughing, talking to people, mingling with people, shaking hands with people. Nobody's wearing masks. So I'm like, "That is just a bad look." So. Um, yeah, so so uh, 
you can't do that. You just can't do that. And I, you know, there, there was, I get a text from somebody high up in the Raider organization. who was like, look, come, and they were not happy. And his, his, his uh, point was complacency is our biggest enemy right now. You can't let your guard down. And, and this is not long after is when we heard about the Tennessee Titans or maybe simultaneous to that. I can't remember what the timeline was, but it was very, it was right at the same time. So, um, and then the NFL started sending out memos like you we're through we're through three games here, but there's a long way to go. And everyone, to, to their credit, has done a tremendous job, um, you know, uh, fighting this thing. And uh, John Gruden, you know, the Raiders coach from 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 day one. And he had it, by the way. John Gruden had the virus oh, yeah. um, in July. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so he's very cognizant of it and, and, you know, appreciates the danger of it. He had a rough time, but he got through it. Um, you know, so, but he, so from, from the beginning of training camp, John Gruden's mandate to his players is we got to crush the virus. They have t-shirts and signs all over the Raiders facility, crush the virus. And more than anything, his whole message has been, we want to dominate the virus when we leave the building, because that's the danger. Area. That's such a John Gruden approach. And I mean, I mean that with uh you know I, I say that complimentary but i you can picture john gruden saying we have to crush the virus well like just full disclosure like i told him i said and what you know some couple weeks ago three weeks ago i said i go you know what they should have put you as the czar of covid19 a full or just a football coach somebody that because think about it Who's the opponent? This is his whole. This is his whole idea. Who's the, and I had a player that ta- 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 that texted me one day and he's like, you know, as far as John's concerned, anything that stands in the way of us going to the Super Bowl is an opponent. So you know, he looks at things like that. COVID nineteen, obviously being one of them, and in his mind, it's not just a weekly opponent; it's a daily opponent, twenty four seven. I told him I was like, you know, I go, I'm half kidding here, <laughs> but they should have just put you in charge of. Of, of, you know, being the czar of, of, of the national czar of COVID-19. Because what do football coaches do? They come up with game plans. They figure out what the opponent is. They figure out what the weaknesses are. How do we beat this opponent? And then they tell the players what they need to do. They come up with the game plan. And what do players do? They execute the game plan. And it had been going pretty well up until this point. And on Monday, it was just a bad look. And, and for a good reason, there's no arguing that were, their hearts were in the right place. But you just can't do that right now because, as we've seen everywhere, including the White House, you let your guard down for one minute and there could be disastrous results. And it's not just people dictating how you live. It's not political. They football, The, the NFL, they are all in this together. And how, whatever how happens, flexi- how, right, how much flexibility does the league feel like they have? You know, they, they again, this week they figured it out. They moved a bye week, you know, and, and it, it it's relatively seamless, but yeah. you know, you can't do that too many times. And if it happens in week 13, after everybody's already had their buy. So yeah. where does the NFL feel like they have their wiggle room here? I mean, you know, there was consideration to playing, let's say the, the Steelers game or the Tennessee Titans versus the Steelers on Monday or Tuesday, moving it. But then you get into a, an area. If you're the Steelers who did nothing wrong, if you have to turn around and play that game on Tuesday and then turn around and go play another game on Sunday on a short week, they're like, what did we do to deserve right. that? You know, but to your point, if this starts happening down further down the line where there are no more, um, 
you know, uh, uh, there's no more wiggle room in terms of, of, of the bye weeks. They're probably going to have to do something like that where you're going to just have to play on a short week and try to squeeze the game, game in. But the NFL, I mean, for obvious reasons, they don't want to be in that situation. And so that's why sure. you know, the more memos came out this week saying, look, we can't do this. This is, And they, they, now they're threatening, you know, fines, suspensions and revoke and taking away draft picks, um, you know, uh, if, if players or coaches step out of line. Well, it's interesting because the NFL, when, you know, the NBA was getting closer to starting and baseball was having these very contentious negotiations yeah. between the owners and the players, like the NFL kept talking about this like it was going to be business as usual. And it felt from the outside looking in and even with some of the people that we've talked with, like like Jordan Rodriguez, you know, who covers the Rams for the mm -hmm. athletic. Yeah. Like the NFL was just in denial about what was really in front of them in terms of the actual task at hand. And no, I, I disagree. Okay. Because I mean, what, what was really way. happening, what was really happening, and that's why if you go back to Monday, what was so disappointing about that, for months and months and months, the Players Association and the NFL, was they were negotiating and working diligently to put together a plan to get this season through, through 16 games, but it was, and it was dependent on, from the player's perspective, make sure where we go to work every day, it's going to be safe. Okay. And then from everyone else's perspective, okay. But when you leave the building, got to be safe as well, because there's no bubble here to, to speak of. And so if you look at the, if you look at the, what was mutually negotiated and agreed upon collectively between the players association and the owners, which took months, the, the notion that, they just woke up July 28th and said, oh, boy, training camp's coming up. We need to figure this out. That was not happening. They were hard at negotiations trying to get this figured out. And if you look at that's why it'll be interesting to see if there's any fines from what happened with the Raiders. Because if you look at those restrictive um, forbidden you know, activities, you can't go to a restaurant with more than 50 people without wearing a mask. You can't do this. There's like about 11 things that you just cannot do. Um, you know, when you're away from the building, and you're like they did all doing of it. what's that? It sounds like they did all of them. It, yeah, I think there's going to be some. I mean, you know, it's funny, and and the key to the whole thing is, which may be uh, the way they get out of this in terms of any kind of fines or anything like that, is there's one little stipulation that says, uh, I'm trying to word this correctly, but uh, violating any state or city restrictions. Well. There's a little bit of a loophole because in Las Vegas um, or the state of Nevada, it there was 50 none. people. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I actually give the I actually give the governor out here a lot of credit. He's he's done a to me. He's done a good job. Everyone's mad at him, which is probably means he's doing a really he's good probably job. Probably doing it right. Is that exactly. mayor still? What about the crazy lady? Oh, there? Okay, let's not get into. Yeah, let's not get into her. She's um, still out of her court. <laughs> yeah, she, that's. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> the governor, on the other hand, has done a really good job. But the point I was okay, so it was it was the maximum was fifty people uh, at any given restaurant or anything like that. Up until Monday, like like there was like this crossover where it turned into like a hundred or hundred and fifty. I can't remember. The, so they may there might be a little bit of loophole where they didn't actually uh, violate any state restrictions. Although the um, the country club where it was held was fined two thousand dollars by um, the city of Henderson, which is where it was because there was there were like four or five violations. 
um, that they did on their end. So I don't know. It's pretty. It's it, the the bottom line is this: the non-negotiable aspect of all of this is you have to wear your mask. That's it. If they were wearing their masks, everything would have been fine. But we'll see. So we'll see if the NFL revokes it. But you know, yes, they were sitting. The NFL was sitting back. They were watching baseball. They had that luxury. They they were able to watch baseball, watch the NBA, see how everybody kind of did things. But they were working really hard to make sure they had, they were consulting with all the right doctors and medical experts. They didn't do this frivolously. If you go, you know, like I get tested every single day. Um, and, and you, I get my temperature taken, uh, twice a day just to, to get into the parking lot. Then they get into the, our work area. Uh, I have to walk around with the tracer, you know, that, uh, wow. that, that lets me know, you know, or, or if something were to happen to me based on my tracer, everyone would know who I got in contact with, uh, over at the facility. So, uh, and that's fairly league-wide. The Rams aren't going to those lengths because everything is outside with the Rams. Uh, but in, in any of the facilities where you're working indoors, there's a lot of stringent uh, restrictions. And, and, and you know, we just have to live like that for right now. But it's, it's the away from the building that everyone was uh, worried about. And that's why John Gruden said we have to dominate away from the building. And they've been dominating up until Monday night. So, uh, Vinny, you are a, as most people, I think, certainly, you know, out here know, you are a person of this city. Um, you know, an L.A. guy, worked here for how many years? Jeez, how many years did you work here? Yeah, a long time. A many. Long time. <laughs> more, than, more, more than three. Um, yes. So how, how much have you been able to actually take in of this Lakers run, given that you've been busy? Well, here's what I'll always, if, if anyone in Los Angeles is thinking about moving to Las Vegas, okay, I'm just going to, this is a suburb of Los Angeles. There's just no question about it. And, you know, I, I, I have direct TV, right? On my basic direct TV um, package, I get the Dodgers channel, I get the Lakers channel, I get the uh, uh, Clippers, I get, and the Angels, I think they share it, or, but if they don't, I get both of those. I get the San Diego Padres, their, their channel, and the Bay Area. So we are such a California suburb here, it's pretty crazy. So to answer your question, all of it. Um, I'm able to watch the Lakers and Spectrum and see James Worthy and the gang over there uh, You know, every night that they play. Uh, this is definitely a Laker town. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, and it's an L.A. town. So right now uh, here in Las Vegas, everyone's, you know, loving the Dodgers, you know, success and the, and the Lakers success. And, uh, you know, I think there's a there's an expectation that they're going to that the Lakers are going to are going to take this thing home. And, and, and rightfully so. To me, they were the best team in the NBA. I know the Clippers. A lot of people were, were caught up on, on that. But, you know, and I think everyone's seeing this. Nobody had the duo and the tandem that the Lakers did. I mean, we're talking about arguably the, the the best and maybe the third best or maybe the best and second best, whatever you want to say it, top, at least top three players in the NBA on one team. Nobody's, nobody's, you can love Paul George and you can say Kawhi's a top five guy. I mean, I, I, I don't like literally the rankings. I say, if I say like I you're a top five guy, yeah, that's like a tier. It's like a, yes. like you're in that group. Like you're that good. No, Paul George is five, not in six guys in it. And no, Paul George is not in that. No. Paul George ain't in there, and so you know, and, and no other team has any picks, right? Yeah. I what I think is really cool about about the way the Lakers have gotten through the playoffs is that, and you know this, and I know you're a guy actually who I think fights against this in sort of the way sports media works. 
is the you know we, it's a, it, obviously a teardown culture that we have in sports particularly yes, no doubt the way the lakers are doing this it's all based on lebron and particularly davis who asked for this heat who like demanded to be traded to la for this right. heat specifically well, not these heat but you know what i mean um yeah. and he's and he's responding with a performance that's going to put him in that category with Giannis and LeBron and Kawhi, James, if you want to put him there James with Harden. James Harden, whoever it is, as arguably the best player in, in, in basketball. And that is so cool to see the guy step up to that. And it and there's and nothing anybody can say about it. It's completely bulletproof, and I love it. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you go back – um, and, and look what I know Anthony Davis did not play in the playoffs a lot with the New Orleans uh, Pelicans. That wasn't his fault. Um, he was always up to the challenge. And you go look back at his numbers in the playoffs in the in the two or three series that they actually played. Right? Like like his all of his numbers were up from the regular season. So it showed me, okay, when it gets when it gets to the playoffs, he raises it another level. Not everybody does that uh, at even at. At, at some of the, those highest levels, he does, and so I was always anxious to to, to see. All right, when 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 the Lakers do get to the playoffs, where is he going to take his game? And I think everyone is seeing where he's capable of taking his game, which is pretty damn high. He's a you great are, player. You know what I think is interesting is also because this is something that I know Brian and I have talked about a lot, and maybe we've talked about it with you, Vinny. I I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But the, the challenge of transitioning from the Kobe era was always going to be a big task for the Lakers under any circumstances, much less, unfortunately, the, the tragic yeah. ones that they're dealing with now. But it, it always felt like that was going to be LeBron's, you know, ultimately LeBron's task bridging that. And, you know, he was there first before AD, but last year – you know, on a lot of levels, it didn't happen for LeBron just in terms of the, the team's performance, but also LeBron being very outwardly disconnected from the team. But right. this year, you know, assuming they end up winning that championship, you end up with that bridge, I think, really feeling like it's built and you're moving somewhere. But I think it's going to feel equally happening with LeBron and Anthony Davis in ways that I hadn't necessarily anticipated in the beginning of the the beginning of this season, just because LeBron's star was so much greater than Anthony Davis's, even acknowledging how great AD was and, and how great we all knew. But these playoffs, it's really felt like the two of them doing it together, which beyond what that means for the franchise in terms of their viability, that also makes it so much easier on either one of them. Because again, that I mean the shadow that Kobe casts over this organization, you know, rightly, he, he earned it all. That's really difficult for the next guy in line. And the ability to have it happening with two guys, it's just great on a lot of different levels. And I'm glad you bring that up because we all know, all three of us know, how many guys we're going to suppose, we're, we're, how many guys did the Lakers target to be that guy, to be the guy <laughs> And how many guys ran away? Literally, let's 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 be honest. Guys ran away from that challenge, whatever the reasons were. 
they ran away from the challenge. There were a number of guys that the Lakers sat down and talked to. We could we could make all the excuses. Oh, they didn't like what Mitch Kupchak was selling. Oh, they didn't like this. Whatever. They were, to me, they were, the guys that they were talking to, I think above all else, were concerned about, do I have really what it takes to be the guy that replaces? Well, I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Just in the sense LeBron that. LeBron didn't. LeBron didn't. LeBron well, accepted LeBron, it. And, well, LeBron didn't, but remember, LeBron also took a meeting with the Lakers a few years before that, and and ultimately ended up not going. And and he right had, at the time, the meeting was considered like a sort of ceremonial kind of thing. Like there, there, there was, was when Bobby was there too. Right, Bobby was but, on but, the team. but that's actually what I was going to get at. I think right. the setup with Kobe, in fairness to all these guys who you know maybe in part could have been overwhelmed by this, maybe not. I'm not sure. But the setup of being that guy who's supposed to be getting the baton while you're playing alongside Kobe, like Dwight was actually in a really rough position along these lines. As much as Dwight did not have a great attitude that first time around and he was difficult, Brian and I covered those teams that, that year, Dwight was in a lot of ways a total pain in the ass. That being said, he was put in a bad situation where he was going to be treated as the next franchise face. And I think when things didn't go well, would have been thought of like the number one guy that you blame things on. But if things were going well, it was always going to be Kobe's team. And Dwight wouldn't have really actually been in the position to be a franchise guy until maybe his third or fourth year on that theoretical contract. And And for a a lot of those guys too, like once Kobe tore his Achilles, you're in a rough position in a really awkward position of being better than the guy who is a legend on your team. Mm-hmm. And that's right. really awkward. If you think about the, that blueprint, too, don't forget that Chris Paul was part of that blueprint because they sure. make the trade. For, let's say that trade goes through. They still had the same, the very same assets that they ended up using to go get Dwight Howard. Which, which was, they would have done. Yes. Which that's what, done. That was the plan. That was Absolutely. the plan. And Absolutely. I guess in retrospect, I don't know if that would have been good or bad. Now, now that you look back on it, I don't know if we, I don't know if we get to this to right now. It's so it that's what I, that's what I love about this whole thing. It's like yes, there. The one yeah, honestly, one of my favorite versions of this conversation is what if the Lakers draft Tatum instead of Lonzo? Even even beyond like the what if they had signed Aldridge and so what if Carmelo had Aldridge. come like. Yeah, Thank like goodness, they didn't sign Aldridge. Two right? cracks at that. Two cracks at it. And, yes, you know, and, exactly. and they botched the interview. Was good. Um, but like what even little stuff like that, like because I've heard, you know, some Lakers fans, because they're Laker fans, will say, like, oh, I really wish we would be able to hold on to Brandon Ingram in that trade. Like, there's a zero you, you you there is no way you can construct the trade um to New Orleans without right. including Brandon Ingram. And if they drafted right. Tatum. Tatum and Ingram are probably on the Pelicans right now. They demand both yes. of them, and they get yeah. both of them. They don't get as much other stuff, though. And that's like what this lo- – like there are all these little sliding doors moments that happen to get from point A to point B, and then ultimately you're like, well, wait a minute. Did LeBron just kind of wanted to come here because he wanted to come here. And yeah. so how does that fit in? It's like they didn't really maneuver to get LeBron. They cleared the runway and allowed him to land. So right. I, and I, I have to give him credit because he could have gone anywhere, obviously. He could have stayed where he was. 
the, the Lakers were a lottery team. Um, bad, you know, just wasn't working. Uh, the good young players, there were some good young players. And, and he, to me, and there's something to be said about this, he accepted the challenge of taking the, of, 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 of restoring the Lakers. Um, and, and when you think about it, and I think I, I may have wrote this a couple of times, um, if you're LeBron James, where else can you go to really take your legacy to a whole other level other than coming to a downtrodden Lakers team and getting them and restoring them? A, they're going to tie the Boston Celtics for the most championships now. He like you guys alluded to earlier, all of a sudden you're starting to see a bigger window than maybe any of us imagined opening up with how good Anthony Davis is and how good that tandem works and how good LeBron looks. And he's going to continually kind of, um, I think, transition to more and more of a, not a complimentary player, but a guy that knows that he's got this tremendous he, player. In he is willing to let Anthony Davis shine right. and, and yes. occasionally outshine him. Like there will right. be times where it looks like Davis is outshining him, and LeBron seems perfectly content with that. And, and he can he, cruise, he can he's gonna be able to cruise through regular season, like two or three more regular seasons, and right. crank it up and do the playoff version of this because they're never gonna care about seeding. You know, he can be that guy, and like it, this, this could you know he might actually get a chance to play with Bronny now. As crazy as it might sound. But this gives him four. Two more doesn't look completely out of range to tie Michael Jordan. And and if he does, and maybe even surpasses it, but let's just say ties, you know, that, that whole conversation of who's the greatest player of all time, to me, changes a little bit. Because I think he, you know, I, I, I think this guy is, if, if, it's, if there's a way that LeBron James can be underrated, I still think that he's a little bit underrated. Well, think about too many. What, what, what it means if he gets two or three more, or gets it means he will have been to what that, at that point well, thirteen of the last fourteen finals, fourteen yeah. of the last fifteen, something like that. Thirteen out of the last fifteen. That is nine of the last ten. He's been to nine of the last ten. Let's just say he goes to two. Or yeah, three I guess two the next three. You know, just be trying to be realistic about how old he is. That would mean that he will have gone to I guess twelve or fourteen, something like that. Just twelve. And always, that is bonkers. And always look at what happens to, to the when he leaves those teams, those teams that he took the championships. Look what happens to those teams. They immediately, I mean, the, the, twice the Cavaliers became lottery teams again. And I'd have to go look at what the Miami Heat did, but they certainly weren't championship caliber teams again yeah, after, they're, after they're, he they're, left. They've they finally gotten themselves sort of back to a better yeah. than expected place. Um, but they're not all the way back. No. So, I mean, you, you look at the impact, and, and he immediately goes to the Cavaliers who were in the lottery all those years that he wasn't there, and they're in the finals and winning a finals. And it's just, it's crazy how good he really is. And I look at, you know, I know that the, like, you know, uh, Kawhi was like this popular pick to be, oh, he's the best player now, and which I reject completely. And if you look at his history, I'm sorry, but he goes to a San Antonio team that the culture was set there. He already, you know, they had Popovich, they had uh, Tim Duncan, they had Ginobili, they had Tony Parker. 
yes, he played well in the finals, and that was fantastic for him, but he didn't change anything. In, in, he didn't transform a franchise by any stretch of the imagination. Then he goes to Toronto, and let's look back at what Toronto was before he got there. Weren't they winning the East? Not in the playoffs necessarily, but they were among the best teams in the East. They had a tremendous you know, ownership, and uh, the general manager was fantastic. The, the parts were in place. Um, you know, on that team. So he didn't go and miraculously change the the Toronto Raptors organization or anything like that. He just added to a pretty darn good team. And then they got, I think, a little bit lucky to win the NBA finals that year. Uh, all the credit in the world to him, but he's not a transformational player. And he's, to me, he kind of showed that with the Clippers. He didn't, they haven't gone any further than they did when Chris Paul was there and Blake Griffin was there. Meanwhile, Devon, further than Del Negro was the coach. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, to me, LeBron is absolutely a transformational player. He goes and changes things with your team. And, and you know, when, when you're taking the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have never been anything before or since, to NBA Finals, to me, that, that says a lot. That's, you know, and then, and, and, you know, beating the Golden State Warriors and, and being close to beating the Warriors, even with a depleted Cavaliers team, he, he pushed those guys Hard, even with I was going to say, it's easy to forget how good that group with uh, in 2015 with no love and Irving, and it's like LeBron and Della Vadova and nice. Tristan Thompson. They pushed them to six games. That's oh, pretty down. amazing. That would be That's it's the equivalent exactly. of like this. Might like if if you swap out Butler for LeBron on this team against you know sort of LeBron AD led teams that are two LeBrons playing. Like that's the the type of talent disparity. Like we saw what Miami had on the floor tonight, and Andy and I were talking about it in that first half hour. It's like Mark Jackson's talking about they need to find defensive fight. And it's like no, Mark, they need to find better players. Like they don't. Yeah. Like, their two of their three best players are out. The third right. one is doing everything he possibly can, and you know Spolster was already playing a short rotation here anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I was I was joking about this before, like this whole team of destiny thing with the Lakers, and I talked about it on Spectrum the other day. It's like it does feel a little bit, and it's such a cliche because every team that goes this far always feels like they're a team of destiny, right? Like you know, when you start rapping in the Kobe and all the numerology that's popped up over the yeah. But even if you don't believe, it, just in case you don't believe in that stuff, they have the two best players left in the playoffs by a mile on their team. And if those guys play really well, there's nothing Miami can do about it. And two questions for you guys. Number one, where do you uh, fall on the asterisk on, on this championship? I think this is an, whoever wins. This is an incredible. Absolutely. Thank you. This year is so hard to win a championship. Oh, and everything they've gone through. The asterisk thing is ridiculous. And we, that's why, that's why I'm so mad. That's why I'm so disappointed that the finals have been robbed of their competitiveness because the Lakers, I think, were the better team. I picked them in six. They were, I think they were going to win the series regardless. But now you open the door to that because, oh, well, they didn't have to play the Clippers. Oh, they didn't have to. And then Miami got hurt. It's like, okay, A, that's not their fault. But B, right. it, what do you want? Like, and So I, I feel like, A, I wanted to be more entertained by this series. Two, yeah. nothing for games. But also, it's just like it sucks for them because now this is going to be the line of thing for the, you know, the Skip Bayless crowd um, that – you know, the, this this thing doesn't count. What it's worth, uh, Bam at Bio said that he plans to play in game three, so maybe that juices we'll Miami. It helps. To put, to put this season in perspective, uh, Derek Carr is a huge Lakers fan, okay? Huge Lakers fan. 
And last Thanksgiving, and we were talking about this. He and I were talking about this. Last Thanksgiving, the, the, the Raiders practice. The, the Lakers played on Thanksgiving last year, right? They played on not, uh, one of the not on the holiday. They they never uh, they did not play on or it. Christmas. It was Christmas. Yes, and definitely Christmas. So the, the 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 Raiders practice. We ta- I remember after practice we were talking. And he's like, "Yeah, I can't wait to go home watch the Lakers Clipper game." Da 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 da. All right. So fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago when the playoffs basically started, and we were talking. I was like, "Can you believe you and I were talking at your locker before?" The Lakers Clippers game, like last yeah, season of your season, you know, uh, <laughs> and now you're playing another season, and that season in the NBA is just starting their playoffs. It's like we it, we were like just dumbfounded. That's incredible! That is an yeah. incredible way of framing it. Oh my god! Well, you yes. know, it's funny. I was asking Frank Vogel a question before the game. Um, you know, just the context being Miami has a different lineup. Uh, than we've seen throughout the entire playoffs. And I said, you know, normally around this time of year, you'll hear players and coaches say everybody knows what everybody runs. Like, essentially, are there any surprises for you right now, even with that in mind? And Bill Oram, you know, covers the Lakers for yeah. The Athletic, texted me during uh, that question and said, around this time of year is usually training camp. Right. I like, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, I, I meant that more just, around this time of year in the uh, NBA calendar. <laughs> right. You're correct. Normally, we'd be starting the new season. By the way, Vogel's a good coach, too, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Vogel, that's one of the couple of questions like this have come up in comments. You know, Vogel should have been coach of the year, uh, but because LeBron, they look past that. I know you, Andy and I, Andy and I disagree with you a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do this in, before we go, about, you know, I think Palinka is never, I, I agree, like, Rob Palinka is not going to get enough respect from for what they put together i i i i think that the the parts where we'll find out really how good a gm palinka is come in the next couple of years when they have to build sure. with fewer draft picks with because i i think like the ad trade to some degree it's a little bit like lebron you have the guy who wants to come and you, to, you just sort of keep offering david griffin stuff until he says yes uh, yes. You got to draw the line somewhere. They had a good plan in place for what we're going to do the minute this trade is done. And here we go. Sign that guy, that guy, that guy. No, 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 no. There. They were still in position to get Ka- Kawhi Leonard. That was the whole thing. I think well, everyone is post Kawhi thing. Like when, right, when the Kawhi yes. thing was but done. Because they certain were, ways, though. Go ahead, Vinny. But no, no, they were the Vogel thing. They had, because if we back it up, there were, there were a lot of, you know, just like, Oh my God, he blew he blew it. Uh, he's not going to be able to sign Kawhi now because of the remember the the whole thing with the fourth the third pick or there was like some salary cap restriction that people were just assuming was going to kick in that was going to deny them the ability to oh, go right. really weird wrinkle yes. about it. It was like three years ago as it turned. You know, it seems like this is all three years ago. It was really just not even last, last two summers ago, I guess. But it's it's incredible hey, how long been a while. I, it's it's right. It's, Something it's happened. Years ago. Something happened, and it was a it was a thing, and it turned out yes. not to be. They, they they had guys lined up, and they signed some guys. Got a little lucky here, you know. It's turned out very lucky. It didn't like, matter. Had Danny, Green lucky. On, had right. Danny Green played on any team other than Toronto, he would have been scooped up while they were waiting for Kawhi. Sure. Like he, exactly. right. so His stuff availability. Got lucky I think, there. I think you know, in Vogel, they'll get credit for Vogel. He was you know like their fourth choice. So like you. 
that's what the, what I think is important about this is like this idea that you either have to be, and I think this is sort of the Jerry West effect on how people think about execs and coaches and all that in this town is like you're either all a genius, or you can you're like. Palinka has had some really bad moments. He's done some good stuff, and I think he's getting better at the job. Yeah. But, like, you know, I, he's he's been pretty good, and he's he's not – but he's either way, he's not going to get nearly the credit I think that he probably will deserve. No. Frank Vogel, one of the thing, other things that I'm happy about in this series is I think there actually is starting to be put a little more attention on the work he's done this year it's because so it's been crazy. great. It's been great. He might be the perfect coach for this team, too. I mean, I can't, like, I, again, we talk about bullets dodged when, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge says no to the Lakers and everyone was down on that, you know. Uh, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? But in yeah, retrospect, thank you, LaMarcus, for making that decision. Ty, how about if they, how about, I mean, are they here if Ty Lue's the coach? I mean, maybe LeBron and you know, AD. Are no, Ty Lue is a really interesting He's a really interesting coach to try to figure out, and I have a feeling we're going to get a better idea because he's going to get hired, I think, by either the Pelicans or the Clippers. Um, right. He has a ring, and you know he's somebody that is really respected around the uh, around the league. And you know he was respected as a player, all of that stuff. But his sample size is very small and very yeah. specific, so it's it's hard to know exactly how good of a coach he is. You know, and right. I don't even say that doubting him. I'm saying I really don't know. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I, and you know, you talk to people like you know Dave McMenamin or uh, like Brian Windhorst or or other people I, I've talked to more off the record, but they'll say like he's kind of an underrated X's and O's guy. And you know that sometimes happens. I think a little bit what we were talking about with like Frank Vogel when you're coaching LeBron, yeah. nobody nobody ever gives you. I think quite the credit you deserve, but I think sometimes they're not really even paying attention to a lot yeah. of what you do because they assume LeBron's running everything like on, on the court. I mean, forget like LeBron being the de facto GM, de facto coach, all that stuff. And like literally like they'll say the schemes don't matter as much because LeBron's in control of everything. And I mean, to some degree that's true because when you have a guy that incredible running the show, it gives you a major advantage. But why isn't it, that the case with Steve Kerr? With Steve Kerr? Yeah, why isn't that the... the, the I think uh, if I had to guess with Kerr, some of it has to do with the coaches that he played for. Right. And, you know, say he spent so much time around Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. And, and you've, you hear Kerr talk a lot, and Kerr's a really smart guy. Right. And, you know, I think more people have heard, for example, Steve Kerr talk than Ty Lue talk. Yeah. You know, Lou had a position to talk as much. Because I, so, I do hope that Lou gets another. I mean, you know, it looks I mean, like he's going. No way, no way he's getting out of this summer without a gig. Right. Exactly. It was kind of interesting that you know Doc takes the Philly job because I had seen his name connected with the Philly job, and and all of a sudden Doc gets it. So you know, uh, but it, it opens up an opportunity for Ty with the Clippers. But I mean, if it's you're going to go away, from, if you're going to move on from Doc Rivers. Does it make sense to hire his? you know, assistant coach. I don't know, you know, or just well, Palmer I think, going. I think, I think it does if the guy is sort of considered to be like the, one of the next coach in waiting. Yeah. I mean, he only ended up on that staff because the thing fell through with the Lakers and he was sort of out there. And the right. Clippers were like collecting people. 
um, yeah. you know, in the way that they kind of do. I mean, I mean, they're really, I mean, it's funny, like to say the least, Lakers fans have really enjoyed this, this, this stretch with the Clippers. Oh, yeah. And quite frankly, I think NBA Twitter has because it's bizarre, but the Lakers have been all season long the more likable and humble team than the Clippers. Yeah. And to see the Clippers flame out the way they did, I think gave people a lot of a lot of people satisfaction. But um, you know, Ty Lu is he, he, the, the, I'm sorry, I was uh, that organization is really well run with really smart people in it, and they keep hiring just if a if a talented person is there, they go get them. And right. so I don't think Ty is seen as Doc's guy. He was just right. a guy who was really talented that was available, so they went and got him. Yeah. So I, I think he can. I think he can slide into that, and it'll be okay. It'll be interesting to see where the Clippers just where they go. You know, because um, I just I'm just Seattle. <laughs> well, there you go, Inglewood. First of all, uh, that's yeah. where they seem to be headed uh, uh, in terms of, of where they're going to play. But I just Paul George is just let everyone down so many so many times in so many different ways in key moments that you know it's 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 hard to believe or not think that that's just who he is and um a good really 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 good player but just not the kind of great player you need to win a championship Need, needs to be a little bit lower on the wrong like a little lower on the ladder he's just not there uh you talk about where the clippers are going to go Vinny. uh by the way i'm playing with my Walrus, that's nice. left table. I am the Eggman, Cuckoo Cuckoo. Um, <laughs> I like so, it. Very popular among the stuffies, the Walrus. Um, so, you talk about where the where the Lakers are going to go, where the Clippers are going to go. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to go. There you go. Likewise, <laughs> um, uh, Las Vegas Review Journal covers the Raiders in the huddle on uh, Raider Nation Radio. The is the NFL Insider here on 570 Radio uh, in LA. Uh, this was a ton of fun. We would love yes. to do it again later in the season. Absolutely. Whenever you're available, uh, let us know because we'll. All right. Suck well, just, just ask, you guys. Just ask. I'm there. Awesome, uh, man. Appreciate it. All right, you guys. Uh, Take care, man. Yeah, absolutely. Miss you, guys. Uh, mo- miss you too, man. It's great catching up. Uh, Monday, we've got uh, the great Josiah Johnson joining us. Oh, uh, he's fun. Yeah. He yeah. is so much fun. He's been on before. He's, he is hilarious. So we're going to get into a lot of uh, Tuesday, lot of- what could be a championship parade edition of the show. Ooh, yeah, a virtual Tuesday? parade coming to Los Angeles. Tuesday, yes, yeah. I would play Sunday. Yes. And Tuesday. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Harrison Sanford, uh, nice. who co-hosts Andy Green's podcast, and uh, Wednesday, Mason. Um, yep. And so we, who's Thursday? Thursday is. God, we do have somebody on Thursday. We got someone. We do definitely have somebody. We got, somebody. We got guests. It's going to be fun. We got guests, uh, Vinny. We got someone on Thursday. No doubt. Right. No Everybody doubt. enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Nidalan. Ciao.